Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. I want to ask Lot's wife, why would you? How could you? What could you possibly gain by looking back over your shoulders at all of this death and all of the destruction. Today, what we're going to see is one of these very bloody, very ugly, in my opinion, one of the most um, uh, terrible chapters in the entire Bible. This is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And today, what we read in Genesis chapter 19 is basically a dumpster fire. As our church has been studying systematically through the book of Genesis, when we get to this chapter, I'll be honest with you, I really don't even want to touch this chapter today. It's not the content of this chapter that I dislike. I wish this event never happened. I wish it wasn't recorded for us in the Bible because it didn't have to happen And the fact that what we're going to read today is worse than the most vulgar miniseries or movie that you're going to see on TV, the fact that we have this dumpster fire recorded for us tells us just how bad the situation was a few uh, years ago in Sodom and Gomorrah. But I also think there's a lesson for us here. And I'm going to deliberately end the conversation today, Genesis 19, looking at Lot's wife. We'll pick up the rest of Genesis 19 next week. But when you look at Lot's wife, the big lesson, I think the lesson that you can't miss, and this is for all of us today, I need to hear this too, is that when God is leading you forward, don't look back. And what we see today is God giving very specific instructions to Lot, to his family, and Lot's wife does the very thing, the one thing that she's commanded not to do. And as you saw in that, mini, in that uh, little movie, she's turned into a pillar of salt. Mark Burnett spent his own money, and he and his wife made this Bible series mini, this Bible movie miniseries. I really love this miniseries. I love how they portrayed in that scene the Jesus of the New Testament standing with Abraham in the Old Testament. But I think of all of the stuff that I love in this miniseries, I love those two angels when they end up taking their swords out in Sodom. Let's do some work together. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 19, and we're going to learn why God ends up destroying, wiping the city off of the face of the earth. But as we get started in Genesis 19, I want you to hear this from me today. No sin can be hidden from Jesus. I think all of us know that, but the truth is sometimes we make some mistakes, we've sinned, and we get stuck in the past because we still have those sins hanging over our head. We're haunted by those sins. No good deed that you do in the future can wipe out what's happened in the past, which means you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn God's forgiveness. Let's start the conversation. Genesis chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Let's see what these two angels run into when they go to Sodom and scout the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah out for God. 
Genesis 19, starting in verse 1. The two angels, remember two angels were meeting with Abraham. They left Abraham, and now Abraham is having a conversation with the Lord as they go into Sodom and Gomorrah. End of Genesis 18. The two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in Sodom's gateway. I don't think that's insignificant. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. And he bowed with his face to the ground and he said, my lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we would rather spend the night in the city square. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them and they ate. And before they went to bed, here's what the angels experience. The men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population. How bad is the sin in Sodom? The men, young and old, whole population surround the house and they call out to Lot and said, where are the men who came with you tonight? Send them out so that we can have sex with them. God sends these angels to do a little reconnaissance mission. And I don't have time to go back over all of Genesis 18, but I do want to hit the highlights. God has appeared. God has already told Abraham what he's about to do. Abraham has already negotiated all the way down to 10 people. And the question that we have at the beginning of Genesis 19 is, are there 10 good men left in Sodom? Because if there are, Everybody lives. If there's not, everybody dies. God sends these two angels. And it's entirely appropriate to use this language today. Angels, if you were here for my mini-series on angels and demons and who they are and what they do in the Bible, angels are God's messengers usually. They show up and tell Mary, even though she is not married and never been with a man, you're going to have a baby. But sometimes the angels show up and do great death and great destruction. For example, one angel of the Lord meets one night in Egypt and every firstborn in every house, even the firstborn of the animals in the field are dead because of the death angel. The angel shows up when Israel is surrounded by the Assyrian armies and in one night, one angel annihilates 185,000 of the greatest warriors on planet earth. And the next morning, when Israel walks out of the gates of Jerusalem, the entire army is laying dead on the field in front of them. Not one survives. Sometimes God sends angels as messengers. Sometimes God sends angels to deliver his punishment. And today, God sends two angels to go get Lot. Really, God knows the condition of Sodom already. Because at this point, God has already said to Abraham, People have been abused and mistreated in this city for so long that their cries have come up to me. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a second. Imagine that you've been living outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And every time that you try to do business, every time that you try to raise your family, those people treat, mistreat you, abuse you. They take advantage of you. And it's happened so often that God said, now their cries have come up to me. We don't know if this has been a week, 
a year or a hundred years. But the sin has reached a level where God said, now I'm going to do something about the wickedness of these two cities. When the angels show up, they immediately go to the center or to the town gate. This is where the foreigners would do business. Because foreigners really weren't supposed to live inside the city walls, so they would live outside the city walls, and they would do business at the gate of the city. These angels show up, and where is Lot? He's a businessman, and he's at the city gate when they show up. And we don't know if Lot recognizes these angels or what. Maybe he just sees two very impressive maybe very wealthy-looking businessmen. Hey, guys, why don't you come to my house tonight? Why don't you stay with me? And I'm convinced that Lot invites them home because he knows what's going to happen to those two guys if they spend the night inside the city walls of Sodom. Guys, you need to come to my house because if you don't come to my house tonight, something very bad is going to happen to you because of how evil, because of how wicked this city is. Lot should know better because Lot has lived outside of Sodom. His life has been turned upside down. Literally, he got taken prisoner of war. And instead of learning his lesson, Lot went right back to living in the same place right outside the city gates of Sodom, where we see him today, Lot should know better. But Lot is still living in the past, and maybe you are too. There are plenty of times where you've messed up. I've messed up so bad that there's no way you can get that back. There's no way that you can undo it. And sometimes, if you're not careful, that sin, that mistake, that failure in your past will hang over your head. It will haunt you. Listen, church. There's nothing wrong with looking at your past. There's certainly nothing wrong. In fact, it's a good thing to learn from your past and to grow because of some of your mistakes in your past. But listen to me. It is not good. It's not healthy to live in your past and to live with the weight of those mistakes and the heavy burden of that sin hanging over your shoulders In fact, that's not God's plan for his people. You can find this all the way back from the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 43, he says this, God speaking to his people who are in sin and about to be wiped off of the face of the earth or taken into captivity by the Babylonian army. He says, I, I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. In verse 25, he says, and I will not remember your sins. Listen, it's not that God can't remember your mistakes and your sins. It's that he won't remember them anymore. Because those have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And if my son Jesus has given the price and paid the full measure of that sin, why should I hold it over your head anymore? So really what I'm trying to tell you is for the guy or the gal in this room who's made some big mistakes, but you're really struggling with your past, why are you still holding on to something that God says, I won't remember any longer? So stop allowing that heavy weight of sin to hang over your shoulder. There's no way to move forward with God if you're hanging on to and living in the past. 
And there's really no way that you can move forward with God if you are stuck in your sin. You see, one mistake in the future can't undo one mistake from the past. For warriors out there that have done something ugly on the battlefield that they're ashamed of, no amount of taking pills or drinking yourself to death is going to make that go away. For the guy who's had an affair, a wife who runs off and goes to have an affair too, doesn't make the the, the, the thing that's done for you or that you've done go away in the past. And even children know this, that one mistake can't do undo the other or two wrongs don't make a, what is it, church? Two wrongs can't make a right. Children know that, but Lot doesn't. And Lot does something, in my opinion, that is unthinkable next. Listen to verse 9. Lot went out to them. This is the guys that are outside his walls, ready to break his door down because they want to rape those angels in his house. There's no other way to say this. Lot goes out to them at the entrance and he shuts the door behind him because he knows if they get inside my door, everybody in my family is in danger. And he said, Don't do this. Don't do this evil, my brothers. I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with the man. I will bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they've come under my protection, the protection of my roof. This is ancient uh, customs all throughout the ancient world and even in the city of Sodom, they don't want to hear the ancient customs. Get out of the way, they said, adding, this one came here as an alien, but now he's acting like a judge. Now we will do more harm to you than to them. And they put pressure on Lot and came to break down the door. But the angels reached out and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness, so that they were unable to find the entrance. It sounds like even after they have been miraculously made blind, these men are so consumed by passion that they're groping with their hands to find the entrance to the door. The angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? A son-in-law? or sons or, and daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of this place. For we're about to destroy this place. And here's why. Because of the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that he really didn't send us here to scout out the cities. He sent us here to destroy the cities. That's why we've come, and Lot, we're at your door today to rescue you and all of the people connected to you before we wipe this place off the face of the earth. Lot is a foreigner, and as a foreigner, Lot could make a little bit of an impact on this community by the way he conducts himself, by the way that he does business in the land. Now, when Lot rushes out um, to protect his family. He shuts the door behind him because Lot knows just how dangerous this situation is to these two angels. And then Lot does something unthinkable. 
I got some questions for Lot right now. Maybe you do too. Like, Lot, why are you here right now? Now, I'm serious. Lot, you should know better. You were in Sodom when it was defeated and the entire civilization was carted away. Your family was taken prisoner of war. You wouldn't even be here today alive, Lot, if it wasn't for your uncle Abraham who defeated the foreign armies and rescued you. He brought you back to his house and he wanted you to stay with him. And still you left and went right back to Sodom. Lot, why are you here? Lot, why are you raising your family in a place like this? Anybody else wonder that question? Lot, why would you possibly go out and get husbands for your daughters out of men like this? Because that is a great sin according to the Bible. What kind of a father would do that? I got lots of questions for Lot, like what I just did there. But my number one question is what kind of man would offer his daughters in exchange for those two guests in his house? Listen, I read the books, I heard the pastors, I've studied the theologians. They all try to argue about the customs of protecting people under your roof, but two wrongs don't make a right. And offering your daughters in exchange for those men is a great sin, a great evil. How could you, Lot? How could you, when the people are already clamoring to get to you, not alone to get to those old men? And Lot has already been enticed. Lot has already been uh, handed over to whatever is so attractive in Sodom. In fact, when Abraham begged Lot not to go back to Sodom, Sodom made it, or Lot made it clear, I'm going there for money. Abram, you can stay in this dry, barren desert for faith with God if you want, but those are rich fields and good for farming, and my cattle are going to prosper, and I'm going to make lots of money. So I'm going back to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah because I can make lots of money there. And I really think that Lot never learned his lesson the first time. I also think this happens to Christians all the time. You see, I'm convinced that shame will dig you deeper into sin if you're not careful. I'm convinced that you mess up and you know you've done wrong and you start to feel guilty. You're ashamed. You feel like, I don't deserve God's love. And I'll just go ahead and answer that one for you. Nobody deserves God's love. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm ashamed of what I did. And at that moment, you have two really important options in front of you, two really powerful paths that you can go next. You can run to Jesus who knows those sins, nothing can be hidden from him, who understands your temptation because he was tempted just like you are, except without sin. You can run to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and trust that he loves you enough that he will clean you up. He will be the prodigal father that will welcome a son or a daughter back in and wrap a robe around him and put a ring on their finger. Or you can stay in your sin. And if you stay in your sin, you become a perfect target for the enemy who starts to whisper at you. You see, you can't do anything right. 
You always mess up, and why even bother trying? And all of a sudden, one sin starts to lead to another, starts to lead to a lifestyle of sin. Pretty soon, a blood-bought Christian is now wallowing in sin because they can't find their way out of it, and it's all because they gave in to the shame and they gave in to the past. And I'm convinced at this moment, Lot, you have two choices in front of you. You have two choices. I have the same two choices in front of me. When you mess up, you can either give in and run to the shame and live in it. Or church, you can run to Jesus. And you can be made clean and you could be forgiven because of it. And if you're going to take the second choice, if you're going to run to Jesus, it's because you're following the Holy Spirit. As soon as he starts to prompt you, as soon as the Holy Spirit starts to convict you, instead of running to, sin, to shame, instead of falling deeper into sin, immediately start following. Immediately start listening to the Holy Spirit. You really can't move forward. Not with God. If you're not listening to and following the Holy Spirit. And when I say the words forward today, what I mean is the path that God has laid out for you. There are plenty of us that are trying to figure out what do you want my life to become five years, 15 years from now. And you're asking God to show you, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you. But I can just make this real simple for you. You get up tomorrow morning and you immediately, totally, completely listen to the Holy Spirit and do what he says. And I promise you, five years, 15 years from now, you'll be exactly where God wants you to be. You don't have to figure out what the long picture looks like if you'll just get up tomorrow and do immediately, totally, completely what he asks you to do. I wish Lot would have responded that way. But Lot actually argues with these angels and eight times goes back and forth with these angels and still can't see what these angels are trying to tell him. Verse 14. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were going to get married to his daughters. Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. And look at what it says at the bottom of the screen. Still, he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion, he should be dead right now. The only reason that he's not is because of the Lord's compassion for Lot. The men had to grab him by the hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They had to physically pull Lot and his family out of the city. He was so unwilling to hear, unwilling to listen to, or to follow the Holy Spirit. They brought him out, and they left him outside the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, Run for your lives and don't bring and don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plains. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please 
Your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life. But can I run? I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, there's a town close enough for me to flee to. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. And what Lot is basically asking for is not to rescue just his life, but to rescue my business, to rescue my future, to rescue my fortune. Let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he, the angel, said to him, Lot, all right, I'll grant your request about this matter too. And I will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything. Here's where you see the real reason why these angels are here. I cannot do anything until you get to that town. And therefore, the name of the city is Zor. Zor, the town that Lot ran to, the town that Lot wanted to escape to. Did you know that Zor is the same city? that Abraham came to when he first entered the promised land? If you start to compare Abraham with Lot for just a second, these two don't look anything at all like one another. Abraham is asked by God, get up, pack your stuff, and go that way. Leave everything that you know everything that was familiar to you. In fact, Abraham, leave your family and your fortune, leave all of your inheritance, and I want you to go into the desert, and immediately Abraham gets up and he starts walking. Lot is asked, begged, pulled out of the city of Sodom, and still he doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit. When Abraham enters Zor, Abraham realizes this isn't a good place for me. It's not good for my, my family. I got to keep walking. And Abraham doesn't stay there. He goes to and then passes through Zor. Lot says, at least I can make a little bit of money in Zor instead of in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot plants his roots there. And you can see clearly that one of these two is listening to the Holy Spirit. One of these two is being led by the Lord. And the other one is not. The city of Sodom is about to be wiped off of the face of the earth. And we have a question that we're still trying to find the answer to in Genesis 19. Abraham believes, surely my cousin Lot, my nephew Lot, has made a difference in the city that he's living in. Surely it's not the same after he spent some time there. So what we're trying to figure out is, are there 10 good men left in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the whole region? Are there even 10 good men? Abraham runs to his sons-in-law. These two ought to at least share Abraham's faith. I mean, Lot runs to his sons-in-law. They ought to at least share his faith. And when he tries to convince them that they're about to die tonight, they think he's joking. They refuse to listen. Apparently, Lot's wife doesn't listen. Apparently, Lot's daughters aren't listening. It looks like from this chapter today, we don't even have one good man, not even Lot, because even Lot himself has to be dragged out of the city by force because he's unwilling to hear it. I read Genesis 19, and it breaks my heart 
Because I see a man who's had absolutely no impact whatsoever, not on his family, not on his community, not on anyone. And then I look at the church in the United States, and I see Lot all over again, again and again and again. I've made this statistic before, and I'll say it again. I believe it with every fiber of my being. In our metropolitan area of less than 400,000 people, there are roughly 440 churches. If God were to tell the church tonight that he was going to wipe our community off of the face of the earth, how many people far from Jesus would actually hear it? How many people would actually believe it? I'm convinced that there are not five of those 440 churches that are actually making the impact on their community that Abraham believed Lot would make. Surely those towns won't be destroyed because surely my nephew Lot has made some kind of an impact on the town. And by the time we read Genesis 19, apparently... Lot hasn't made an impact on anybody, not even his wife and his children, not even his future sons-in-law. And now they're about to be wiped off of the face of the earth. It's enough to just get up tomorrow and to say, Holy Spirit, you show me where to go. You tell me what to do and I'll do it next. That's step one and step one is not easy. But step two is to decide when I hear it, when he shows me, I'm going to immediately, without hesitation, do what God is asking me to do. And step two can become scary because you're not exactly sure how things are going to turn out if I do exactly what God is asking me to do tomorrow. I want to ask you a question, church. When are you better off knowing that God is asking you something scary to do, but he'll be with you, or getting up tomorrow and doing something that you believe is perfectly safe, but not at all what God wants you to do? Which of the two is the more dangerous position to be in? You see, when I read this story from Lot, I think to myself, Lot, if these men are asking you to go, and they have just put God's power on display by striking the men of the city blind, I would grab my wallet, grab my keys, and be out the door before they even got to it. How come they can't convince you, Lot? How come you can't convince your father or your, your sons-in-law or your family? Why are you not pushing back darkness? Why are you not making an impact, Lot? And maybe the truth is, Lot's wife, Lot's daughters, and maybe some of us are still living in the past, looking over your shoulders. You can't run forward while you're looking over your shoulder without tripping to break your neck. And what you gain from following Christ, as difficult as it might be, is infinitely greater than you will ever give up. One of the greatest statements I've ever heard a man of God say in history came from the great missionary 
Charles or Charlie Elliott, who left everything and went to Central America to reach the natives in Ecuador. And Elliott was called a fool, and people were criticizing him and ostracizing him for it. Why would you leave the comfort of the United States to go to this dangerous, deadly mission tribe, which, by the way, will ultimately cost him his life. And it's his wife that will go back and really reach that community. Eliot said this, no man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep here to gain what he cannot lose. Why would I not give everything up if in exchange I gain far more? And apparently, Lot can't see it. Apparently, Lot's wife can't see it. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zor. And now God is ready to do business with these two cities. And then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. Would you say the Lord rained? That's language that Genesis has already used when he flooded the earth to wipe all of the sin off the face of this earth. Now he's going to flood it, not with water, but he's going to flood it with fire. He demolished these cities, the entire plains, all of the inhabitants of the city, and whatever grew on the ground, the destruction is so severe that to this day we have absolutely no indication, no record, no genealogical, no archaeological evidence to tell us where this is. He literally wiped it off the face of the earth. And he gives Lot and his wife and their daughters one rule. Run for your lives. Run to the hills and don't look back. But Lot's wife looked back and did the one thing God commanded her not to do. And because of that, she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife, what were you looking at? What could you possibly benefit? What could you possibly gain from doing the one thing that God asked you not to do? What could you possibly have to benefit from looking over your shoulders when God has made it so clear there is nothing, there's going to be nothing left after you leave this region? What could she inherit doing the one thing just like Adam and Eve that God asked her not to do. And as a result, God wiped Lot's wife off of the face of this earth, just like he wiped off all of the people, not just in these two cities, but in the entire region of what is probably the Dead Sea. And the reason why the Dead Sea is probably dead and so salty today is because of the burning sulfur that God wiped them off of the face of the earth with. I am convinced that God is challenging us to go forward with him and to not live in the past. And maybe for somebody out there, you need to start this walk with Jesus for the first time. Maybe what you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth to rescue you. And without his death on the cross, there's no amount of good deeds that you can do to earn your way into heaven. It took God paying that price for you. Maybe for others of you, you've been struggling hearing from 
or following the Holy Spirit. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But for all of us, I am convinced God will give you the opportunity. If you'll just be on the lookout this week, he will give you the opportunity to make a difference in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your schoolroom. So would you just... We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.